The example I give is the, is one of these teachers who who is famous for the oh well we'll just play games with them. He would do things like a bingo game that lasted 45 minutes. I saw that, and I saw a lot of a lot of the the untrained teachers doing it this way, and they were looking at like oh we'll we'll just play a game, and it's like well it has to go somewhere. Welcome back to Inside Japan. I'm Charlie, and in this episode, I speak with my friend Quint, a professor at the University of Waseda. He teaches the teachers of English in Japan, and we go into why Japanese students often abandon learning English. What do many teachers, even trained teachers, get wrong about language learning? This is one for the passionate teachers out there and those who want to know that there are talented and smart people working on the problem of demotivated English language learners in Japan, and that progress is being made little by little. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Quinn. Thank you so much for coming on Inside Japan. Thank you very much for having me, Charlie. It's really good to be here. Uh, honored to be able to uh, to talk to you on uh, hopefully what I'll have to say is interesting to your listeners. I'm sure it will be. Uh, so first, just tell me a little bit about uh, your background, like coming to Japan and how you went from teaching a kaiwa to now working at a university with some really interesting teaching programs. Okay. Uh, yeah. So... I first came to Japan with without a real plan, uh, just trying to you know get out and get and see the world. Uh, mm. And you know, I was interested in the martial arts. I'd been doing karate for a number of years, and decided to come over here. I'd done a year of Japanese in college before I graduated. Graduated a year early from college, just because I wanted to get out early and again see the world. And so I ended up heading over here. I got a job in, at the first day Kaiwa. There was a Nova that took me. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, so I, I was I was part of that that empire uh, back in the day, and and so yeah, I stayed with them for about a year. And uh, fortunately, uh, the the guy who was the manager where I worked was doing uh, his master's program at Temple. Uh, they had a school in Fukuoka then where I was first stationed, I guess, uh, mm. you know, it makes it sound like a military thing, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I ended up uh, going to the, the temple campus there and I, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to get through that program. Yeah. yeah, that's super interesting because I was in Fukuoka when I first came to Japan as well. Okay. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I was placed in a, a little town called Izuka, which... Um, <laughs> no way! Yeah. <laughs> That's where where, I was. Where, where, no, you're kidding me. That's that's insane because yeah. most Japanese people have never even heard of Izuka. Nope. The only thing they know about it is um so Prime Minister Aso yeah. was yeah, yeah, from yeah. Izuka and his whole family is uh, is all yes. super connected. They had like Aso supermarkets oh, yeah. and stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh my I, god, I, that's crazy. I I my uh, my karate dojo down there. Uh they they were doing uh, an event and he he was asked uh, my teacher was asked to provide some cultural entertainment and i i ended up going and rubbing elbows with him at one point uh, oh I met, wow so I, I met asotaro it was like 2004 ish so after hakata moved to uh to murakata where i got a uh, where i was teaching uh university at oh, wow. uh, the university of education there so yeah wow so you moved up to the university thing very quickly was there anything that yeah. really motivated you to do that like uh, uh, I, for me because 
sorry to, to cut you off, but like yeah, for no. me, I kind of was trying to find my feet in Japan. You know, it took me a little while to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, I kind of did the kindergarten teaching for a little while and I really enjoyed that. And then I got into business once I started, uh, once I got into Tokyo, I started looking mm-hmm. at other things and, you know, the marketing work that I do now. But um, at the beginning, I was just trying to like, you know, enjoy my time in Japan and figure out right. what I'm doing. But it seems like you went, you know, into this, uh, the university thing full on. So what motivated you to do that? And, and how was that for you? I mean, it's great. The The reason I started it was actually just because the people who were doing the master's with me were all looking at university jobs and they were looking to get university jobs. And so they were just offering them. I mean, people I knew who were working in university were like, hey, you want some part-time classes? All right. Uh, and now you're ready for full-time stuff. It was like, what? Apply for this full-time job. And I had a young family at that point. And so when they were offering full-time positions that uh, the high schools that I was working at, even though I was actually working as a, uh, as a tannin at one point, they never granted me full-time em- employment. Right. They just kind of, uh, it was a private high school and they just kind of said, oh yeah, well, you'll be full-time someday. And, but there were, there were all sorts of things. I don't really know what was going on at the time behind the scenes, right. but yeah, they didn't, they didn't offer Right. So from what I understand with um, with that is one of the reasons why a lot of schools don't offer full-time employment is because it's incredibly expensive for them and there's a lot of risk. Yeah. So if you like start you know, being a terrible teacher and you just kind of give up on doing your job, um, it's incredibly difficult for them to fire you, which is why we have this kind of like musical chairs of you know, uh, every few years, everyone gets up and then they all switch universities and they sit right. back down again. <laughs> yeah, the, the the contract musical chairs, a, a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know have played that and lucky ones have, have been able to, to find more permanent things. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very familiar with that situation. In the, the high schools, uh, less so, most of the people I knew who were in high schools, they just ended up either being permanent at the high school level and i could have mm-hmm. uh, i could have ended up being a permanent junior high school teacher but uh, that that was frustrating in its own way and that uh that had its own uh difficulties and the university right. offered me a, a slightly better uh quick advancement potential so it was good yeah so tell me a little bit more about the work that you're doing now okay well right now i'm working in elementary schools i've been researching and doing work with elementary schools. I mean, as an, as a teacher since 2005, uh, elementary, junior high school was my ALT work. And then moved up to, when I moved up to university, um, I had done a little bit of high school, but not that much. And so I wanted to continue with that. And I got hired on to do uh, elementary school English and to help train elementary school teachers at the, the university of education that I was teaching at. And so the, the research that I do has up until now has all been on how do we create a good classroom environment for kids? How do we make something that kids will enjoy and they'll want to be there? And it's kind of fun, but it's also meaningful. It has to, it has to get towards that meaningful because a lot of teachers at the time when they were first introducing elementary English were just like, oh, we'll just play games with them. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. like slow down there. You, you can't just play games that's that's a a recipe for disaster Mm. and uh so i watched i watched a lot of 
a lot of classes and uh, watched a lot of teachers who were just like, oh God, please stop that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and watching, well, watching, uh, watching students who reacted with that. Uh, and the, the example I give is, the, is one of these teachers who, who was famous for the, oh, well, we'll just play games with them. He would do things like a bingo game that lasted 45 minutes. And he, he tried to make, you know, bingo into an activity that you could do for 45 minutes. And so I think I saw that and I saw a lot of, a lot of the, the untrained teachers doing it this way. And they were looking at like, oh, well, we'll just play a game. And it's like, well, it has to go somewhere. Right. Are these mostly, uh, because, sorry to cut you off, are these mostly yeah. teachers, uh, like foreign teachers who have come to Japan without teacher training? Or is it Japanese teachers it who have teacher training? It was training? both. It was both. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, there were, uh, there were some, and there were even some teachers who were, who were trained and trained in other subjects who were just, who kind of had this, uh, uh, there was an indoctrination. It was kind of a weird mm. thing around 2010 ish, 2009, 2010, where they, where they were first coming out with the, the changes in the elementary course of study. And it like, it was very, very frustrating to watch because I watched so when I had been doing it, there was at least a willingness on the part of the teachers to be like, okay, we'll, we'll try some things. Mm -hmm. And then they, they came out with this curriculum and every, everybody kind of stepped back and was like, oh, it's a curriculum. Oh, we got it. Oh, okay. Well, uh, oh, it just says games. All right. We'll, we'll play. Oh, wow. And so there, there was a sudden back cycling and it was very frustrating. Uh, yeah. but, you know, we've, we finally kind of reached a, a better footing. So the, the main grounds that I was working with in elementary schools was trying to do motivation. And so how do we motivate kids? How do we get them engaged with learning? And I view motivation and engagement as entirely linked. Uh, we, the things we do, the things we start to do, we start to like, and mm. it's not really the other way around. It's not, we start to like it and then we start to do it. It's the normalization. And I, I tend to take the, the idea that if you start doing it and it becomes something that you are used to doing, that, it, that you have done before and didn't do too badly at, didn't feel terrible at, then you're probably going to do it again. And mm -hmm. the more we can do that in elementary schools, the more that we can create that kind of doing it uh, feeling the the way the the sense that students are kind of constantly active and that's what i really try to build i use so i use the lessons from that from from observing both the bad and the good classes and taking those lessons and kind of distilling them and trying to then turn them into teacher training programs that i'm working on now and wow. so what i've been working on more recently is more content driven it's more okay. on the literacy development and so trying to figure out a way to get proper literacy development, uh, training for sound letter connections, especially in elementary school teaching. Because uh, from what I can see, that's one of the biggest areas of weakness with many Japanese speakers. Right. And I, I've experienced this as well. Like I taught as an ALT at a junior high school for a while. And uh, as a lot of ALTs will know, you get placed sometimes into an elementary school when, especially during like test weeks and things like that. And I 
remember that um, the expectations at different elementary schools were so vastly different. One elementary school would be like, okay, well, you know, we're just going to do this and you just have to be there and kind of like play these games with them and say the words and stuff. And then the other schools had some real educational goals for these kids. They're like, no, we're, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, and we're building on their knowledge. And that difference, even within the same city, uh, where they're both public schools and they're both uh, receiving public funding, it was really surprising to me how much uh, some teachers took it really seriously and some mm -hmm. just didn't care, you know, or they just wanted to get it done. Exactly. And, you know, and going with the Japanese system, every six years they're rotated. And so one school will lose their, their program leader and take all of the institutional memory that they had developed with that school. And it's just gone to a different school. And now that school has a program that is focused and, and working. And the other school just has a bunch of materials that this person happened to make and left behind. <laughs> Yeah, they're like trying yeah. to, it's like an archaeological dig trying to figure out like, yes. what did this all mean? Like, and they've yes. all these like cards and well, things. We've got, a, we've got a room <laughs> full of teaching materials that uh, with lesson plans and everything laid out clearly, but we don't really know how to read it. It's like, well, it's a lesson plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but we're not, we're not going to do that. We're, you know, they left that behind. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. And I just want to take a quick moment to mention that this podcast is only possible because of the support of jobsinjapan.com. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com. There are tons of jobs on there, not only in English teaching, but also software engineering, hospitality, marketing and consulting, among many others. Most of the jobs on the board do not require any specific level of Japanese, and you can get started in minutes. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com and let's get back to the conversation. Well, I wonder how much this is affected by um, sort of the digitization of this, especially during COVID, you know, because we, when we went online, when I was teaching uh, the, a couple of years ago, the high school, um, we kind of built a lot of this stuff from scratch. But once we made it, it was there, it was ready. And I think any teacher could come in and just look at it and it's all really well laid out in, uh, in a Dropbox. So how, does, how has that affected um, your work and the work you're doing with these elementary schools? Uh, basically, the work that I, I was doing during COVID, it just all went on hiatus. Uh, I, I couldn't get in schools. I couldn't do the observations that I'd been used to. I couldn't do the training that I was used to doing. And so it's been basically, like you're saying, a, a start from scratch, redo everything, start working with people in different ways and start, uh, start trying to build uh, new materials and new ways to do it. And so thinking about how to do that, yeah. And uh, what I've seen, the, the teachers right now, the ones that I've been working with, they have been, you know, amazingly professional. And uh, I will say this, that the teachers that I'm, that I'm meeting and dealing with now are, they've, they've had, you know, 10 years of, of practice and training uh, since the beginning of this, and they've built up a really, really good sense of institutional memory and mm -hmm. you know it started to to go throughout the system and you know as they've been moved around people are getting you know they're kind of looking back at the those materials that you're talking about you know looking mm -hmm. at what everything what everything is and it's like oh there is actually a curriculum here some of it's going to change when we change textbooks from you know weekend to new horizon or whichever right. book that they happen to be using but the 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 core of it really doesn't change that much so there there does seem to be some some continu some continuity rather yeah. yeah so um for the teachers in the audience what are some yeah. of the 
the really positive changes, especially with digital that um, teachers can make. So especially untrained teachers, because I remember being an untrained teacher and not really yep. knowing what I was doing a lot of the time. And um, I wonder, like, what are some of the things that they can take on that would be like easy, big wins that they can mm -hmm. use? Okay, uh, the the biggest things that I can I, I can advocate for you is add more small pieces to your lessons. Mm -hmm. the The most successful classes that I have ever seen are basically just a series of routines with very very little extra added on as it goes through, and so just little pieces changed here, little pieces added and new knowledge that's that's been brought in and so mm -hmm. the more you can kind of create almost a script that might change seasonally for your class but kind of a, a powerpoint that you can just kind of drop in and play and then have it go and have a script that you use uh, it can be one you develop it can be one developed by somebody else but uh, if it if it works for you, that's really the way that that I phrase it. But scripting your lessons and really down to instructions, down mm -hmm. to you know everybody. We're going to have group one, group two, go. Okay, this line, this line, and figuring out those gestures, figuring out all of that, so that there's a whole lot of continuity throughout your your whole teaching. So that kind of that kind of material creation where you script a lot of small activities that are mm -hmm. very, very short. That seems to be the best way to go for if you're teaching. Yeah. Right. I think we did that quite a lot at the high school as well, where we had, um, and some of the most, and, and it, you actually notice how impactful they are as opposed to kind of guessing and wondering, like, was that helpful for the students or was that actually doing something positive? So a good example that we had was we had this um, timed reading practice. And essentially what it was, was uh, we lament, we took four of the same book and laminated the pages. Um, and it was a book that was about uh, basically, it was, um, uh, what are they called? Um, graded readers. So we had graded readers and we would give them to groups of students. They would read one each day, uh, not each day, but maybe like three times a week. And they would chart their progress, how quickly they read it. We would give them this chart that would say how many words per minute it was reading the thing. And by the time they got to the end of the year, they could see on their chart how much quicker they were reading. Their numbers would go up from their reading speed being sort of like 50 words per minute to being like 120 words a minute by the end of the year, like literally more than doubling their reading speed. And they can see the progress and you can see the progress. Yeah. Yeah. Data visualization of that sort is phenomenally powerful. And anything that you can do to track progress in a way that's going to make students realize that there's there's growth happening, I would say that that's huge. So yeah, uh, I, you know, uh, bringing those things in also excellent. And so you know, short activities like that, great. I love it. Right. Um, what are some things that untrained teachers can learn that they wouldn't necessarily have to get training for? Because I, I was an untrained teacher, but I end up um, getting a TEFL qualification and learning a lot about it on my own time. But um, uh, a lot of teachers maybe either don't have time for that or they just got to Japan and they're trying to sort of survive a chaotic classroom. What are some things that they can do to become better teachers and maybe at least feel like they're actually doing a better job? Uh the first thing that I would say for me as, you know, as an immigrant to Japan is just spend the time learning the language and spend the time interacting in the language as much as you can. Uh, 
at, for for the ALTs in the crowd, if you're getting out there and if they're if they're allowing it right now, uh, having lunch with the kids, it's phenomenal. Uh, spending time interacting with them, even in kind of uh, you know what we'd say in Japanese, miburi teburi, and just kind of you know gestures, getting through it as best you can. But you know, kids are phenomenally forgiving when people don't understand them, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's that's the great thing. So for elementary, especially, uh, the the more time you can spend with them, if you've got the energy to do it, please do that. Uh, that's going to mm -hmm. give you uh, a, a a better understanding of what the kids are going through when they go into a classroom and perhaps they don't, you know, you don't speak their language, they don't really speak your language, and mm -hmm. so communication can't happen. But finding ways to make that communication happen in, in, in useful and easy ways, and then picking up, uh, picking up what you can. So the, the better appreciation that the, that the teachers have for the language learning process, I think that's, mm -hmm. for a beginning teacher, that's a huge one. Yeah, it kind of gives you an insight as well into what the students yeah. might be going through because exactly. you are picking up a language for the first time and they're doing the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things. The but it's really I mean, teaching always first, second, and third. It comes down to a relationship. It, do you have a relationship with the people in your classroom? This is why so many people struggle with the online learning and the online teaching. Is that it's really hard to build a relationship mm -hmm. with somebody who you you don't exist in the same physical space even within a digital space yeah you can kind of communicate but until kids really get to that you know that piagetian uh, abstract concepts phase of processing things they they just really can't understand that there's another person that that person on the tv is a real person mm -hmm. you know um it, like if you've ever seen uh you know kids see a a famous person in like in person they like it shocks them uh when they when they see them uh or you know uh if you're right now you're you're interacting with parents via zoom or or skype you know from back when or facetime or however then you know once they see the parent in life it's like you exist or the, or the grandparent rather uh you you exist in in real life you're you're person there's a like you know four-year-olds will just look at just like oh it's facetime person you know and, <laughs> and that, like that's the, yeah. I, i've heard multiple people say this uh now that now that we're existing only in this this online realm yeah and you know that that relationship anything you can do to build a relationship with the kids and to to build a sense that you know there is a community in the classroom mm. with with my university students since i've been been online i've i've had them you know spend the last you know five minutes of class just writing a short message to somebody else in the class on the zoom chat mm. so i i just asked you know say something nice to somebody else it can be public it can be private it can just be thank you but take a minute and say something meaningful to somebody else in this class and let them know that you know you you recognize that there is another person here yeah. and uh that's you know that's been a small thing but the students uh, that i've talked to about it they've they've said that that was a really positive thing especially mm -hmm. when we were really locked down when we weren't going out as much and yeah. uh it's it's something that i've uh, i've brought back into the classroom as well when i when i use the, uh my my name card system so mm -hmm. yeah.
Yeah, um, I also want to ask you about being a dad in Japan because yes. <laughs> um, having uh, having you know mixed kids in Japan, yeah. having and you've got uh, four wonderful yes. uh, kids, um, which is <laughs> a big family for Japan. Yeah, you're uh, doing your part to uh, repopulate this country. <laughs> yeah, as a as a good friend of mine uh, got for me when my fourth was born, he got me a T-shirt that said "Kokenstop," you know, which means I I contributed. <laughs> That's really fun. So, yeah, uh, I've unfortunately lost it since then in the movie. Oh, but yeah. But what is it like? <laughs> what is it like yeah. for you being a dad here? Because um, I think a lot of people don't realize like how many little things you really have to to figure out as a dad. Like that, um, you know, whether it's looking after your kids, like at uh, going to daycares, and even just talking to daycares, like trying to figure out what happened that day or something, and they're trying to tell you. And maybe if you don't understand Japanese that well, it can be really. A struggle so what are some of the things that you have learned uh, about being a dad in japan that have been like good or, or bad yeah well i mean uh going back to what we were talking about earlier with being in izuka and and in the the, the chikuho area where I, where i was if you're not speaking japanese like you're just not getting by right, in right. That area. um and so like living there was it was it was a great boot camp for me to to get that skill and so to be able to to talk with with the the other parents and to do the pta duties and you mm -hmm. know you know you know reading the dendakucho and everything that they send home from school all of that has been uh, been a huge part of that and so uh, yeah, language is a barrier. You're absolutely right, and uh, it's it all. It takes me, you know, twice as long to to get through anything. And you know, I can I could type it in on my computer and print it out and give it to them. But if I have to write it out, I'm always like, okay, what's that? Kind of, is that this stroke or that? It is. It's such a long process. Right. And so yeah, that's. I mean, that you bring that up. That's a that's a huge part of it. Uh, the language. Um, and you know, raising my kids bilingually has been a big thing. Uh, and you know, figuring out ways that I can maintain the the home language and the the school language, uh, you know, the in, the inside outside bilingual uh, practice that we're doing. That's you know, that's what we're what we're you know what my wife and I are trying to achieve. We want our kids to be uh, you know both uh linguistically and culturally fluent in both places and they can they yeah. can handle it so we've you know we've been fortunate that uh that the schools that we've been at haven't been too uh too pushy about you know silly rules like hair color uh because my kids are are very not black haired <laughs> um you know and it would you know it would do that you know there would be choice words if i had to dye their hair every couple of weeks <laughs> mm. um uh, but uh, we fortunately haven't had to do that uh mm. the public schools have been pretty pretty accepting and we've uh the schools in fukuoka were uh we were okay and uh the schools here in tokyo have been pretty good uh, we've been we've been lucky overall um and you know aside from from you know my son my oldest son who's in junior high school now uh losing points on his test for for not answering in the exact way that he is supposed to on his english test you know um you know question even though his english is probably better than the teacher right well <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it's better than the teacher but uh you know the the question is something like you know uh will you work hard this semester and 
the uh, you know his answer is i will try and uh, he loses <laughs> points because you know you know the, the teacher says you know first you have to say yes or no <laughs> so, so, like he's he's lost half a point or a point there wow. so it's like okay yeah that, that, that that's minor frustration but he brings those tests home and i look at them and we both kind of laugh and you just laugh so, yeah <laughs> yeah that's the, just like, way, that's the only way to deal yeah. with that without getting stressed out <laughs> exactly there's there's nothing well and and what does what does stressing out about it give you um mm. but yeah beyond that just the you know, the, the, uh, of course, the daily worries that all parents have about, you know, safety and whatnot, but I, I don't have excessive worries being a parent here in Japan. My kids mm -hmm. are never more than a kilometer from home, and, you know, it's, it's a, pretty, uh, a pretty reasonably safe area. It's nice, right. and, you know, we've been, we've been very fortunate. Uh, I, I come back to that. I've been lucky. I've been, yeah. been lucky to, to be doing what I do and yeah. to, to live where I live. Fantastic. Um, Quint, I want to thank you so much for coming on yeah. the podcast. This has been really interesting. There's a lot of really thank great you. stuff in there. Um, where can people find out more about you if they want, or more about the work that you do if they wanted to, to find out? Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can look me up uh, on my website. I have a website. Uh, it's a little bit out of date, but the, the website is quint.space. It's just my name, dot space. Uh, nice. I went with that one. And uh, so if you'd like to ask questions or just talk about uh, research and what's going on in elementary schools and motivational science in Japan, I'm open to, to talk. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir.